Hi, I'm Alex Chump, and this is Focus on Health, a podcast dedicated to discussing and bringing to light the topics surrounding health, wellness, and workplace culture in the food and beverage industry. Through these conversations, I hope to explore the unique challenges that hospitality workers face, from workplace relationships and work-life balance to guest interactions and everything in between. This week, my guest is Mary Allison Wright. A fellow Chattanooga native, she and her husband McLean moved to Denver nine years ago, pursuing careers in the world of food and beverage. Since then, she's served as the wine director at Proper Pour and Marin, opened the Yacht Club and Door Prize, and is a facilitator at Jellybone. While each has its own identity, a common influence throughout is her commitment to genuine hospitality, sustainability, and equity within the industry and beyond. Hi everyone, I'm Alex Jump and this is Focus on Health. Today I have with me a really incredible woman, somebody that's been really important in my life, Mary Wright. Hi Mary. Yay, thank you. (laughs) I'm happy to have you. We'll try to keep our uh, our personal colloquialisms to ourselves for this episode. Maybe it's really hard not to, you know, <laughs> just talk to you like I'm talking, like we're texting each other. <laughs> oh, I'm like sweating just thinking about it. I'm gonna try. <laughs> so for everyone listening, we, you and I, we've known each other for nine years now, which is crazy to think. Um, it literally has flown by. I can't even believe it. And I've never really told you this before, but I had started thinking about it actually while we were recording this panel on Monday. Um, for everyone listening, if you didn't tune in, we hosted a women and ownership panel on Monday to kick off Women's History Month. And um, this month, all of my guests on the podcast are going to be the women that were the panelists, which I'm really excited about. But Mary, I started thinking um, during the panel, when we were asking like what women were inspirations in our life for starting to work in this industry. And you were a massive inspiration for me in wanting to get behind the bar. Um, you had, you and your husband McLean had just moved to Denver when, um, you and I met and just seeing how integrated into the community y'all were and the amazing things that you were doing in Denver, seeing, y'all traveling and like, and I think most importantly, like really being a beacon of joy and light, um, just in life in general, um, it made me want to live a life that was really similar to that. So like, I just wanted to say thank you for for giving that to me because like, I really had never had that before. Um, First, thank you for giving me this eye sweat that I'm currently (laughs) Um, And second, that literally means the entire world to me. We uh, meeting McLean and I love you so much and hold you so close to our hearts. And in turn, you are such a huge inspiration um, and what you're doing and how you've grown since you got into this industry has just been such a joy to watch. And I ca- still can't wait to see where you take it. So thank you so much for saying that. That really, really means the world to me. Thanks, man. Well, now that we um, are crying, we can go ahead and would you mind letting everyone listening know um, who you are, how you got into the world of F&B and what you're up to these days? Yes, um, my name is Mary Allison Wright. Um, A year ago this month, I was the wine director at a restaurant called Marin um, that will no longer, um, will not reopen rather. Um, And I was the wine director at the bottle shop that my husband owned called The Proper Pour. We closed that in November after seven years of operation, um, not because of COVID, but uh, given a little nudge, maybe because of that. Um, we had 
been up on our lease operating month to month and there was a new tenant that wanted to come in and it felt like time to part neither one of us had our hearts in retail so we um shuttered those doors and in the meantime in between those two things um we started um a new project called door prize pretty much right when the shutdown happened um so maybe like beginning of april we started to think um what can we do right there's this sense of looming dread but also like a, a boredom pretty much you know it was um it, sitting at home or, or not being able to go anywhere is isolating but it's also monotonous and you miss that interaction um that's inherent to this industry and and also watching our peers struggle and you know every everything that had to do with the pandemic we were looking at each other like what can we do and we knew that we could at least cook good food and offer it with a smile and so we um you know, we wanted to see what, what we could do, um, what we could execute. We weren't sure if this, this was going to just be like a to-go situation or anything. So we um, had always wanted to do a meet and three. That's the way we grew up eating. It's our favorite way of eating. Um, and there really isn't one in Denver. And so we started Door Prize, which is um, a meet and three, um, but it's got a little bit more, uh, you know, in its, in its mission. And so we um, launched that in July um, as a means to feed the community, throw a party in a safe way and, um, and offer a distraction and, and bring people together. And um, in addition to that, we started a company called Jellybone, um, which actually has not had its formal announcement, but um, that's something I can't wait to talk about. So I'll just um, dip a little teaser right here. <laughs> um, in a nutshell, that's what I've been up to. Um, and then I entered food and beverage by means of a, an intense love of food. As far back as I can remember, my very first job was a volunteer position at uh, the Creative Discovery Museum in Chattanooga. And they asked me where I wanted to be. And I picked the kitchen because that was the closest place to food. And I could pilfer spoonfuls of cookie dough. Um, and then and it was right next door to my favorite sandwich shop, the Yellow Sub. And then my my next job was um, at Monkey Business, which was a um, a cute little boutique owned by my best friend's mom. And above my other favorite sandwich shop, River Street Deli, <laughs> you can see a theme here. Um, <laughs> it was really just this love of food, but also this innate sense of wanting to connect with people over it, and also host people over. You know, like offer them something that would make them happy. So that's um, in a vague sense how I entered the world of food and beverage, and why I love it so much. Well, I mean, you you are certainly are a wonderful host, and I can say uh, for anybody listening, if you've never had the opportunity to have a dinner at Marion McLean's house, that you've truly not lived. Um, until you get to do so, y'all are y'all are wonderful hosts, and you certainly it's certain that y'all were born to do that. Um, in a lot of ways, you are really incredible hosts, and I really um, appreciate that you are always looking to find ways to like bring joy through food to people, um, which definitely was displayed um, through Door Prize, and that also y'all are often thinking about how you give back, which is something that you do with Door Prize as well as giving back. Um, to communities that are in need. Um, and also just a, a quick anecdote, there are certain things in your life that you'll always like have tactile memories associated with. And the smell of monkey business is one that I literally will never forget. Like it had a very particular smell that that store. I don't know if you also remember that smell. Yes. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, but it did, it had like a very particular smell. It really did. I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's like, it's, 
it's warming me just to think about that. It's uh, what a weird memory. I remember when Blue Skies went into that location and then they, um, it smelled like monkey business for years. <laughs> I wonder what it has to do with River Street Deli. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, for any for anyone who has not caught on also, by the way, Mary and I are both from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, and uh, you and McLean have lived in Denver for nine years now. Um, and I followed about five years later. Um, so I've been in Denver for four years now. So. Looking to reclaim some of the restorative time that you lost during the past few months? Be sure to check out the pre-shift meditation series brought to you by Beam Centauri's Bourbon Time. It takes place on the last Monday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, now through September. Um, okay, so one thing that, that I guess the topic that I want to kick it off with, and it's, it's something that we like briefly touched on during the Women in Ownership panel on Monday, um, and it's the topic of imposter syndrome. I think that this topic is really fascinating. Um, it hasn't really come up a ton on the show yet. Hassel and I talked about it a little bit on the episode that came out last week. Um, and so I'm really excited to talk about it with you this morning. For anyone that's listening that isn't familiar with this term, imposter syndrome is defined as doubting your abilities and or feeling like a fraud. Um, it disproportionately affects high achieving people who find it difficult to accept their own accomplishments. Um, and you know, what's really funny is that as I was writing out that definition, I was like, well, I'm not a high achieving professional, so I can't even qualify. Oh my God. I was like, I was like you're not even good enough to qualify for somebody who would feel about cancel the podcast, cancel FOH. That's so fucked up. Oh my God. Um, but really, you know, it's like, it's something that I know that you struggle with and that I obviously struggle with. Um, and I guess I'd love to know, you know, kind of like your experiences with that. And if you found any ways to kind of help you overcome those feelings, um, yeah, like let's dig in imposter syndrome. How fucked up is that, that you could even talk yourself out of being qualified to feel. Oh my God. <laughs> it's really like the, the essence of it though, right? <laughs> I mean, we we're sitting here talking to each other about the things that we've done and what we look forward to doing, um, which, you know, gives you the sense of dread. Like, did I actually do anything? Am I worthy of these things? Does anyone even care? Do horses even, you know, have socks? I mean, so like, which is a Billy Madison reference. I'm really sorry um, for anyone following along. Um, but we, I think it comes from a sense of being, especially as a woman, you know, always having, um, to feel like you are operating from a place of humility. And while I don't think that that's necessarily in any way toxic or detrimental, it can get in your own way, right? There's a balance between um, carrying humility with you, but also you have to be your own champion and you have to have confidence in your skills, otherwise who else will? Um, and then it becomes a vicious cycle. And I think a lot of my imposter syndrome has to deal with the fact that I moved here to exit one industry, which was just propelled by complete passion, which was music. I was in um, music promotion and, and really just focused on hospitality uh, within that. Um, but because of my pull and my love of food and beverage, 
I, I knew that that's where my heart really was. And so I moved to Denver to, to enter that industry, knowing that Denver could offer opportunity and uh, just felt like it was on the verge of something really cool and really exciting. Um, but because I, I came into it um, in my mid twenties or into food and beverage rather, and didn't follow the traditional path of a wine professional um, or, you know, didn't come up through the ranks of, um, you know, some, what am I trying to say? You know, so because I wasn't like beat up by these traditional toxic ranks of, um, of power, mm -hmm. um, and I had people that cared enough to, to mentor me. And also I, I avoided, um, certain traditional paths of, of wine education because I did not see anyone that I identified with. Um, and this is me operating from my place of privilege. So if I'm not seeing anyone identifying, I identify with, um, you know, imagine a woman of color, um, a queer woman of color, or on and on and on. And so, you know, I think that's a whole other conversation. But I, I knew that I loved this enough to dive headfirst into my studies. And if I could just get a book and read it or, you know, just pay attention to what I was drinking or find someone that would uh, put up with me and, you know, give me some tips. And so a lot of it was, you know, volunteer working for free um, with some wine programs in the beginning. But um, because of the way that I entered this industry and the path that I followed, I, I feel, you know, like I've always questioned, like, do I deserve it? Do I have the education that it takes? And, you know, a lot of people in the traditional um, realm of wine would say no. And so that feeds into this. But at the end of the day, I know that I have people that believe in me and I believe in myself, even if, you know, there are times when I really, really have to convince myself that I do because of this imposter syndrome. Um, and so it's, it's tough. It's like you said this morning, it's, it's a, it's a minute by minute battle, right? Like you can be going to something that is about you or that you've earned or, you know, something like that, um, be what it may. And you're questioning on your way there, why they chose you you know, even, even if they're, even if you can look on paper and say, well, I did this, this, and this, and that's why I'm getting this, or I did these things. I have these prerequisites or what, or whatnot. And it's our minds still want us to believe that we're not deserving of this. And it sucks so bad. It's like, and it sucks, you know, being so isolated during COVID. Um, I haven't worked a floor since March. And so I'm like, am, do I work in wine? <laughs> do right. I, do I work in, I know how to open a bottle of wine? <laughs> I don't know if I do anymore. <laughs> right. Well, that's, um, I mean, that's been something really interesting to struggle with is like the, the anxiety of like getting over like that first step of getting back onto the floor. Um, and you know, I, I feel for everybody that has to, that has to one day, like push through that barrier and like get back to it because like as much as, I, you know, love what I do. Like it was still hard, you know, like to push through all of the anxiety of that change, um, to, to reopen our doors. And yeah, so I totally understand that. And I can't imagine like, and I was still even working at the, you know, I was still working behind the bar and everything. We just weren't necessarily open to the public. So like, I can't even imagine how amplified that would be being at home, just waiting for that you know, that time that you're like, okay, it's time to go. <laughs> um, you know, and I think I'm less afraid of getting back on a floor because that's just like riding a bike. It's so um, innate and it feels so good when I do it. 
Mm -hmm. I'm less concerned about that. I think the reentering process as I am about this perception of how, um, of how I'm perceived, um, you know, because I'm not doing these things. So am I, is that still my job? Is that still my career? Do my peers even still care about me? Like, does that even matter? And so I, you know, it's, it's great. Um, let me back up. It is necessary to have a community of people, be that one person, three people, many people that remind you of your worthiness and that they care and you should care. And yes, you know, you are, you are who you think you are. You are, there is belief in you and it doesn't, even if one person doesn't believe in you, that's not the person that matters. So, right. you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have people like you and my mom and my husband and my close friends say, you know, you're, that's, that's, I understand why you're feeling like that, but that, that's not how it is, right? Like you are still this person. You are worthy of that. That is your career. Um, and so that's, I think where my biggest battle has been is just this feeling of intense isolation and separation from something that I, I love so much. And that's, you know, such a big part of my life. Yeah, absolutely. And I found it to be like really helpful to have people that you, that you trust wholeheartedly that you can ask those questions to uh, without fear of judgment or um, or any kind of like reaction. Um, you're certainly one of those people for me. And then we have um, a, another woman from Chattanooga who works with me at Death & Co. Her name's Maggie and she's a, a floor manager and um, our events manager. And um, she's a person for me like that too, because I often, I often feel that way actually while I'm at work, you know, um, the, constantly I'm battling those thoughts of like, whatever, you know, like I, I don't, I'm not worthy of this job. I'm not doing a good job, whatever it may be. And she, she and you are people for me that I can go to and say like, hi, like, I just need you to tell me that I'm doing an okay job. You know, right. um, silly as that can sound, it's not silly. These feelings aren't silly and they're valid. And so to have those people that you can trust to say those things to that won't be like, you're crazy or, you know, like, what are you talking about? And to say like, yes, you are. Yes. You're killing it. Like I see you. I understand your struggle, but yes, get back out there, you know? Yeah. yeah that's been really helpful for me. Awesome. Um, so we're, since we're talking about this already, this was a kind of like, a, it was, I wrote out this like long train of thought that almost had like no real question, but I feel like as we start talking about it, we'll like get to a question. Maybe I literally wrote at the end of it, what's the question here? <laughs> um, but you know, we're both, we're both highly anxious people. Um, but I've been really grateful for your friendship over the last almost decade, crazy. Um, because I feel like you are truly one of the first people who didn't just understand what I was going through, but who could also relate to it. Um, oftentimes I feel like when I'm sharing something that I'm struggling with you, like you get it, you've been there, or if you've not been there, you certainly can relate in some way. Um, and one thing I've really appreciated that you have done for me is that you always describe our anxiety as like the monster under the bed, uh, that it's like not real, but it can feel so scary and so real uh, when you're like in the moment. Right. I literally don't have a question here. I live, that's where I wrote, what's the question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the question is, but I just, I guess just like to bring that up, like I'm so appreciative um, for you to, I think that having people in your life that can put things into perspective in that way um, is so important. Um, and I just, I guess I'm just really appreciative of, to have a friendship with someone who 
really opened my eyes to being able to relate to it. Um, well, I just hadn't really had that before. That appreciation goes completely both ways here. Um, I, I don't know where I would be if I, if I didn't have you two to reach out to and, you know, and have this um, outlet. And um, I think maybe the question is why, why aren't we talking about this more? Or maybe the question is like, who, um, you know, if anyone listens to this in my mind, no one will ever listen to this, but if anyone's listening, like who is your person and do you have a person? Because um, I think, especially when we, you know, circling back to Monday with our panel, when we're talking, we talked about um, mentoring. Um, and part of that is, is sharing all of you. And I think to be a good mentor, you need to share your struggles, your messes, um, your mistakes, um, you know, your fears, all of these things that make you more relatable, because ultimately, those are the things that your mentee is going to struggle with. And so knowing that someone that they look up to um, has gone through those things or similar things gives them um, maybe a pathway or a blueprint or something to reference and a, a path forward instead of feeling lost or instead of thinking like, well, look at all this that this person achieved. They're perfect. They wouldn't have struggled like I'm struggling. And so I think that's why it's more important to than ever, um, you know, if it wasn't before, more important than ever now to share um, all of it, the nitty gritty, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I know that being vulnerable isn't for everyone. Like um, being able to open up in this way, it's not It's not for everyone, but I would highly um, encourage anyone who is mentoring people to um, find a way to open up a little bit and, and to share the things that you struggle with because um, yeah, knowing, knowing that people that you look up to have that have gone through that, you know, because I think, yeah, we just live in this world where it's like you can craft a perfect life on social media. And I'm sure everyone's tired of like that conversation even being a thing because it's been a thing for so long, but it's still so true. Like you can literally craft whatever existence you want for people to see on social media. And like, that's literally how I found myself sitting in this chair right now, like having this conversation with you was that like, I just started sharing the shitty stuff. Um, and like people... I guess, you know, like cared and like were appreciative and, you know, yeah, I'm not saying that I'm a mentor to anybody per se, but like, just like taking that opportunity to like, if I'm going to have a voice and if I'm going to work at a bar that's like famous across the world, like, and if people like are going to follow me because of my job, then like, I'd like to at least let people know that like, everyone's normal and everyone struggles and, um, that, you know, success doesn't happen in a vacuum of perfection. Right. And, like, and, and often as we, you know, started talking about in the beginning, oftentimes successful people are plagued by their own insecurities, hence the imposter syndrome conversation. So um, I think if we can, the more honest we can be, and at, you know, like you said, vulnerability isn't for everyone, but in my opinion, it's what makes us stronger. If you, as a child, you're told to, um, hide the things that make you, some children are told to hide the things that can make you bullied, right? But in my experience as the class clown, like I found that if I took control of my entire story, the things that I was embarrassed about, all of it, and I had control of it, I could make the joke about it. I took the power away from anyone else that could make me feel lesser or worse. And I think that that just makes for stronger armor, right? You have control of your entire story. You're not hiding anything. You don't live in fear of someone 
finding something out that's going to make you be viewed as um, as weak or, or, you know, not as worthy. And so I think that's a big part of how I operate is, um, and, you know, humor oftentimes can be to my detriment because it is my, my default. But I think that's a lot of where it comes from for me is just taking any sort of power away from other people and putting it into my own hands to, to make sure that I'm not going to be vulnerable, you know, by, by showing my vulnerability, um, which makes no sense saying it out loud, but I hope you understand what I mean. I do. No, I really do. Um, yeah. Kind of like taking control of your own story and, um, and not letting other people write it for you. Kind of like if you beat them to the, you know, you beat them to the punch. Like if you can write it first, then they can't write something that you don't, that you don't want. A neurotic class clown, there is nothing I hate more than being beaten to the punch. It is (laughs) how I operate. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about like routines and mental health and, and balance and having balance in your life, um, which will also kind of tie into travel, um, all of which is like very relevant to you and your life. Um, One thing that I've really admired about you is your commitment to the things that bring you balance and that keep you happy for as long as I've known you, you have found a way to make time for yourself. Like literally no matter how crazy life gets, you could be like operating a bar and a bottle shop and like on the board of the COBG, but like you still are going to 9am pure bar. Um, and it's, you know, like I would come visit Denver before I moved here and like, we would go out, have great dinners. And then, you know, like I'd be learning to consume alcohol at high altitude. And then you'd be like, we're going to 9am pure bar. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and you know, I think that you are very, you and I are very similar in that we know that routines like provide us with a like much needed, like mental health, uh, structure and, and like that balance just like is something that we really can't go without. So I guess I'm curious, like if, like, did you have a moment where that you, where that was like a revelation for you? Did you realize that at some point or have you always known that about yourself? Um, and then uh-huh. I, how do you, how do you find time? How do you make it happen? So I have always known that I benefit from a routine, especially because from a young age, I've known, I've been aware of my mental um, illnesses. Like uh, I had obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety disorder um, and mild depression as a child. So nothing much. Um, But I knew from a very young age that having a routine would keep me um, moving in the right direction and it's distracting and it's healthy and it's, it's energizing. Um, and so in my, let's call them shithead twenties, um, <laughs> I fell away from a routine and it became this like, um, really fun, but not necessarily healthy cycle of going on tour and partying and, you know, getting to do some really fun things and meet some really awesome people. But I, c- I could feel these things creeping back up and these, um, you know, insecurities and, these uh, demons, as you know, as many call them. And so um, when we moved out here, my two closest girlfriends were, were a few years older, um, were going to this bar workout. And I had always 
I, I like doing physical things, even though I'm not a sports person. Um, I like being physical. I like, and, and especially if I am having fun while I do it. Um, but I just don't know what to do at a gym and it never sure. like, like go make myself do the treadmill and be like, did that even do anything? Right. And mm -hmm. so when I moved out here, my friends were doing bar. I went and I like immediately fell in love because I did dance as a little kid, like not in any way talented, but loved it. Um, and, and so it was like all these things that I loved and it was fun and it had a beginning and an end and you, you got, you hit each part of your body. Right. And so I, I loved that about it. And I just started going back because it was something that I knew that I liked. Um, and so I built that into a routine. And once I had that, then I could like click other parts of my life into place. And if I, or rather, if I knew that I was going to do that at a certain time, the rest of my day would fall around that. And so I think that's like basically where I regained control of my routine is when we moved out here and I found something that I really love to do and enough to move things around for it. Um, and then, uh, sorry, what was the other part of the question? Um, <laughs> oh, I Sometimes I just listen to myself talk and I forget where I am. Um, <laughs> so like you touched on something that we both love and that's a huge part of my life is going to big dinners, overdoing it, right? I love to overdo it. I love to stay out late, perhaps overconsume, consume, mm -hmm. um, but you can't do that every night of the week and you have to uh, be okay if your routine means enough to you to make a sacrifice in one way. It's either I sacrifice going to my workout, the thing that I know is going to benefit me physically and mentally, or I sacrifice um, feeling better and sleeping a bit longer. So I, I get up, I make myself get up, I feel miserable. I resent myself the whole time, but I have never gotten out of this class and regretted going to it. And I've never gotten out and felt worse. And so that's something right. that I really have to struggle even daily. And I will, your mind always tries to talk you out of these things, which is wild because even though I you know feel so good, <laughs> exactly, I, I'm like, I know I'm going to feel better afterward. I know I'll be glad that I did this. And up until I'm starting, I'm like, I should quit. I should stop doing this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like years, like years and years. I've been practicing yoga for 14 years. And I still like, if I take more than like three days off in a row, it's like, you're like literally trying to climb Mount Everest to get back into the studio. It's so impossible. I just went through this. I took four days off over the weekend and today will be my third day in a row back. And so even this morning, I was like, I'm really sore. It's probably not healthy for me to do it. And I was like, get out of your own head, Mary. <laughs> I <laughs> so I mean it's just you have to understand that that's never going to go away unless you're just superhuman and I don't know that those people exist right so knowing that this is going to be a battle that you'll have there is a struggle and allowing yourself to have days where you do take off and you don't beat yourself up and it will be harder to get back but you will get there um, and so if I wake up and I just like really don't want to do it I won't and I won't and I'll try I not always won't I will try to not hold um, or to not wallow in guilt. Um, and, you know, a lot of times is, that, is touching base with you or my mom and saying like, I didn't do this today. Am I a good person still? Or <laughs> am I unhealthy now? Or, you know, and of course, whoever I'm reaching out to is going to be like, you're fine. Please take a day off, take a day for yourself. You know, it's part of that, um, you know, discipline um, and having that structure. It, it does create guilt if you take time off of it, but the benefits out far outweigh any, any sort of, um, what am I trying to say of, uh, you know, anything that you might have to deal with 
right any yeah any battle that you have to so i you know honestly it's it's constantly a choice but if i if i look at my week ahead and i can build it out and i can pick which days i'm going to do it and what time and know that there's maybe a little bit of flexibility around each and then as i'm getting into it if i hit the days that are really easy quote unquote um meaning it's not a stacked day and if I if I'm hitting those days and, and doing my workout and getting into my routine, then I know that if I do have a crazy day and I take off, it's not the end of the world. Or um, if I do want to sleep in or stay out too late and maybe have too many Sazeracs, if I take off, it's not the end of the world. So it's really just a constant um, balancing act, but it's it's not hard if you set your intention to to do that each week or each day. It's just it just becomes part of how you're operating. Yeah. One thing I'm still learning to do is like, find, like really nail in the routine, like really dial it in to be like, I know I go at these times on these days. And right. so that I have stopped booking stuff that count that like interferes with those. So, um, yes. And I, honestly, I've, a lot of what I found is like, if I don't do it in the morning, the day slips away from me and many people operate better in the opposite way. But I, I usually don't schedule anything before a certain time because then I know I will get up and do it um, if, I, you know, if there's nothing going on in that time. So it's just about finding that time that you can do that. Yeah. And that you, and that you like too. I like both. I like getting up and going to yoga in the morning, but I also like to go in the evening. So like I can, I go either way, but I off, I agree. Like being able to book it in the morning and like, and just stop booking things so early so that I have the space to go like. Right. Or you have your morning to yourself, you know, to, to do whatever, but it's, um, I've, I've found that that's my best time for me. Um, and so it's just about finding if, you know, if you're an evening person or, or whatever, and just make a conscious decision, like you said, to not schedule things during that time. Like, obviously you can't always do that. Um, you know, we are busy people, but, um, it's, it's possible. Yeah. So, Another thing that like a, like a, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of a factor of having balance in your life that, um, we haven't had to deal with for last year is travel, but pre 2020, like you and McLean traveled a lot. Um, but we're really lucky that we live in an industry that has provided us with like just so many opportunities and like excuses to travel um, because we get to see the world and like experience some really incredible things. Like I'm so grateful to have that as part of um, our, our industry. Um, it's definitely something that draw, drew me to it. Um, but it really can make it hard to have like that balance um, in so many ways. Like, you know, you lose getting to have home cooked meals. You um, you know, if we're traveling somewhere cool, it's most certain that we're going to be going out like most of the nights to experience the city. So, you know, you're consuming a little bit more. Um, do you feel like traveling like brings other things to the spotlights for you? Like for me, I've noticed like not only like the eating and struggling to do my exercise, but also like my social anxiety gets a lot more heightened, like when I'm travel, especially if it's like some kind of conference or something, but, um, even in general, like my, yeah, if I'm like out and about, like my social anxiety is just a little higher when I'm traveling. Um, I can certainly relate to that. And I think when we, when every time we leave, I get homesick and I don't know whether it's like for here or for where, you know, for Chattanooga, where my mom is, 
But every time we're leaving home, I like get really homesick. I'm like, I need to bring everything sentimental that I own with me just in case. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so that's part of the struggle for me. And I think a lot of that is attached to the anxiety of just, of just leaving home. Like you said, like your home cooked meal, your routine. But once I'm on the plane or on my way, I become in um, so wrapped up in the excitement of what we're going to do, because I do really genuinely love to travel and get out and do things. Um, And I think for a long time, it took me, uh, it took me a while to figure out how to really manage the guilt of not being able to be in my routine when I'm on the road. And I think a lot of it that's helped me is just to let go and just to know that for that period of time that I'm traveling, I will not be in my routine. I will be in a new place in a new quote unquote routine, probably lack of one thereof. But, um, I, I, anytime I try to grasp at it and hold on to it while we're traveling, it just creates more guilt and more anxiety. And so what I've found is instead of saying I can get up and do like a computer bar class while we're out of town, like, I'm not going to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. unless I'm like going back home. But, um, what I found that really helps me is, um, is just walking everywhere, like crazy far, um, places that I wouldn't, I would normally like be a baby about if it were Denver, I'd be like, I'm not walking a half mile, you know, I'll walk, <laughs> I'll walk like 12 miles. So it's, I think that's uh, part of it. And then I get to see more that movement manages my mood, my anxiety. Um, it allows for balance with if, you know, if I'm eating more, which I most certainly am, if it's a place I've never been, um, I love to get out and like try new things. And, um, and really it's just the, the day is about how many meals I can cram into it. Um, and so I think that that's created some balance for me when traveling. Um, but really it's just become, um, a way to learn to let go. Um, and so once we get back in town, I usually give myself a day to reenter my routine a day or two, depending on, you know, the jet lag. But so it's, I, instead of trying to, like I said, grasp it, you know, um, at it while I'm gone, it's, it's like, what, what will lay ahead while I'm there? What's, what different things will I experience knowing that it won't be my normal life, but that, that I'll just go back to that and reenter it as I can. Um, and I think that's helped me a lot because in the beginning it did cause overwhelming amounts of guilt and anxiety. Um, but I'm traveling and I'm seeing new things and hanging out with people I love or meeting new people. And so like, why would I have to carry around guilt and anxiety about that? Right. Totally. Um, yeah, I like that approach as well. Cause like sometimes I'll try to you know, if I'm in a city that has like a core power yoga, which is where I practice, like I'll, I'll go to a class because, or a couple, like when I was at Portland cocktail week, I think I went to two or three at the studio, um, which was great, but like also being able to let go and like, and finding other ways to like, yeah, get that energy out, go like walk around the city and, um, and then, you know, not feel as guilty when you have three lunches. (laughs) Right. But like you said, like, um, if, if I'm in the U S, um, and there's a pure bar studio nearby, or my friend has a place that they go for yoga or a bar class or something like that cycling that they really love. I do love to go to a new place like that, or to go experience what my friends love to do. So I think, you know, it's just like, if, if that's, if that can be built into the trip, it's, it makes it so much better for me. But if not, I just, you know, I just have to like be, be strong about uh, letting it roll off my back. Yeah. Yeah. And just enjoying being, being where you are and being present. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, time flies when you're talking to one of your best friends. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, 
really appreciate you coming on this morning and, and opening up about some stuff and, and being vulnerable with me um, because I, I think that people really do benefit from it. And from your comment earlier, people do listen um, and they will <laughs> listen to this one too, I promise. <laughs> so thank you for, um, for sharing that. Um, I'm always happy to talk to you, to text any of it. And I am completely honored and blown away to be on your podcast. Like, can we just take a moment to acknowledge that that's what you've built? It's really, really awesome to watch and really, really cool and humbling to be a part of. Thank you. Um, how can, where should people find you? I'm trying to get better about asking this question at the end of the podcast. Um, under your bed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because you talked about like anxiety. That was in my head. I promise I'm not creepy. Um, I'm a little bit. Um, Eat, drink, be merry. And McLean um, on Instagram. And then um, Mary Allison Wright at gmail.com. I'm an open book. I love to share, perhaps overshare often. Um, but um, please reach out. Uh, you know, no, no question is off limits. Um, and I, I want to be a resource for people. So please find me. And reach out if you want to come over for dinner, you know, post COVID. Would love to yeah. have <laughs> Moon pie would love to have you. Love. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's end the show today with a question I haven't asked in a while. If you yes. could be anywhere in the world having something to drink, where would you be and what would you be having? Oh goodness. I think I would be, that's so tough. I would either be in New Orleans with my family, cheersing um, over Sazeracs to my dad, who was from there, who we lost six years ago next weekend or this coming weekend. Mm -hmm. Or I would be in Paris with my best friends and my mom celebrating the end of this shit show called COVID whenever that might be. So I think it's, it's a split. I really don't know, but I would be in a place that I love, surrounded by people that I love, drinking, preferably a stirred whiskey drink <laughs> or a shitty beer. Preferably yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I love both of those. Um, I, today personally, I would be in Tulum. My, my other best friend, Brie has posted a million pictures from her vacation from Tulum from exactly one year ago. And uh, I've never been there and I don't even really like going to the beach that much, but boy, right now that is literally exactly where I would like I'm to be. There, and I'm like dying to go. Let's do yeah. it. Yes. Um, all right. Well, have a great day. Thanks, Axel. You too. Love you. Love you too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. To ensure that you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Focus on Health podcast on Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else you get podcasts. Make sure to tune in every Monday for new episodes and don't miss Snowproof with Joshua Gandy every other Wednesday.